Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. So we were at this youth festival on the Live Village, which is the, this whole big, a whole bunch of Zulu teenagers, a couple of hundred of them filling the arena. It was just a great time. And to be able to serve and be part of it and be able to impact those kids. But on the other hand, just to be able to just touch base with some people who are really laying down their lives every day to see the kingdom come. Um, had some really great conversations. Part of my going was to go and serve and be part of just this youth festival and to take the team and to help them, the, the team on that side, be able to present the festival. But there were also some important meetings I had to have in the time with some of the leadership there. There's just a, a beautiful synergy. Some of us may have heard of Live, Live Village, which sort of started in Durban and is expanding into a variety of different spheres as God is breathing on them. And um, there's just this beautiful synergy that's happened between Shofar and Live over the years. There are a large number of the senior staff at Live are members and were members of Shofar before they moved to Durban. There's a beautiful synergy between Live and Lanseria and our um, Shofar congregation in Santon. And obviously, uh, part of my mandate in being there was to, to meet with some of the leaders there and um, with Titch, who, who founded the whole situation and dreaming together about what how kingdom can be established, and um, just two beautiful things that the one, it's sort of touch and go, but there are people who are wanting to give um, 250 hectares of space just around the corner from us here to live village, to set up another village, um, and if that does go through, we'll obviously be very involved in that as well, right here on our doorstep, uh, another just prime location on the bo- couple of hundred meters of dam front at um, Artis and uh, a big, just massive area there where the guys started putting up a village and, and they want, they're in the process, sort of while I was talking, as I sat down, he said, listen, you're just going to have some take some calls for some lawyers because this transaction is happening right now and there's people wanting to give it. And anyway, it's a long story, so that might happen. Um, but also Titch, their organization just by what they've done. There's been a, a lot of finance pumped into it, literally hundreds of millions of rands over the years. Um, just setting up the village cost over 100 million, etc. And a lot of churches, amongst others, have given significantly to that, just so graciously. It was just telling me how just in this last month, just one church, just they just donated a million out of their own pocket just towards the orphans there. Just really amazing. And I just want to encourage you guys in that as part of our family. I mean, we were there this week. There was a team from Secunda there last, with us at the same time last week. Then next week, there's a team going from Pochofstroom. And a couple of weeks ago, there was a team from Somerset West helping with their farm farming experts. Um, Gareth, who's now in Johannesburg, his company have taken on Live Village as part of their corporate social um, investment. So they're spending, and it's a conduit Gareth, and someone else to invest a lot of time and energy uh, at engineering rates, obviously unbuilt for towards there, and etc. There's just 
so much investment. And I want to encourage you guys because it's us sitting here. Um, and it's not unseen. And Titch just really is so, so. And the whole live team, I mean, I'm not joking when I say probably half of the full-time live staff comes from Shofar. Um, and there's just something precious and beautiful and I want to encourage you guys in that. Let's keep praying into that. Let's keep speaking into that. Let's keep trusting God to build in that. Part of my conversation with them in this week um, was just around the kingdom and, and the way that we collectively understand the way that God has put the kingdom together is that He hasn't called any person to do everything. He hasn't called me or you or any congregation to fulfill the whole kingdom. It's just too broad, too much for any human to do. But every one of us is a gift. We have our bit. So we've tried in the past and failed every time when we've tried this. We are not orphan people. What I mean by that is not that we don't have a heart for orphans. It just means that's not our gifting. We don't do the whole social development and department of social development and uh, the social workers and kind of that. And when we try and get involved in that, we, we just get confused. But when Titch and his team get involved with that, God breathes on that. And what we do and obviously have done and God's graced us to do well over the years and will continue to do is spiritual formation. When we seem to get involved in that, there's a God's hand is upon that, and it flourishes. We love that kind of with Titch, and then we can take hands, and we can say, how can we help you in the spiritual formation of your staff, of your people, of the children there? How can we continue to engage? Because that's what God's graced us with. We love orphans. We want to see orphans cared for. But how that looks for us is different to the way it looks for Titch and his team working at the village itself. And and so we've got sort of this, this synergy coming together, obviously with a whole bunch of other role players as well. And it's, it's just really beautiful and kind of a, for us in, in Pretoria, I want to encourage us in that as well. That primarily, if you're a member of this church, part of the, the gifting, the grace upon your life is spiritual formation of people. God is going to use you to form people spiritually. I sat down, one of the conversations I had was with Jan George, who used to be a pastor at Shofar Johannesburg, and he's now, um, he was leading the organizational side of Live Village, and now he stepped into their business side. He's a accountant by trade as well. Um, and he's, they've got a, a whole business arm development where they've started up some shops and uh, a number of other business logistics initiatives and other initiatives which are um, they're busy working on. Um, and what I love about Titch Kind of he's, he's structuring all of it that the ownership all goes back to the village. So all of the dividends, all of the income, there's no internal middleman type of process. The ownership is in the hands of the people directly working with the orphans. Um, and sort of he's investing a whole bunch of his money in there as well. And he says, you know, kind of he's, so the shop they've started, all of those things. If, if they just break even, he's winning because he's giving um, employment to 17 people doesn't need return on investment. If it's just breaking even, it's doing what it needs to be doing. And how did I get into that? Oh, young George. And so he's sitting, and they're, they're wrestling with this whole idea of how do we disciple these 170 kids that they have it there. They've got capacity on that property to grow to probably about 600 orphans and are steadily moving in that direction. 
And so what he did, and obviously with our blessing, he literally took our encounter series and rebranded it, changed some of the wording, and now it's called Fellowship. Fellowship 1, Fellowship 2, Fellowship 3, Fellowship 4. And, and our spiritual formation content, which is sort of the, the thrust of the spiritual formation that they're doing with the kids there. And we're going to continue to do that, and we're going to press into that. And I'm just out of my conversations. I'm just so encouraged to do that more, more passionately, more deliberately than ever before. And so as we head into the second semester, this is a little bit of what I'm wanting us to, to think about this morning. We've been spending a lot of time this year talking about stepping in, stepping into God's love, and from that, stepping into His purpose. See, if we step into purpose and we don't step from a place of love, then we step into slavery. But if we come from a place of love, if we come from acceptance and we step into purpose from acceptance, we step into sonship. So God doesn't want us to be slaves. He doesn't want us to do a, a bunch of tasks because He's this taskmaster directing us to do stuff. He wants us to feel in this place of being embraced and accepted by Him. Come into our home. I, I love that about our kids. They like having our house clean because it's their house. And so when I ask them to clean a room, they're not all upset because I'm a slave master driving them to clean my house. It's one of the values that we have in our house that we like to keep our living areas mostly open and accessible because we want to welcome people in that. And, and they've bought into that and they enjoy cleaning, especially the one. She just cleans you. You haven't even finished putting your, like your last, you're still chewing the last bite in your plate. It's gone already. And like, okay, where must I put my fork now? Um, and, and that's just something which comes naturally when we step into sonship. This is my house. And I'm not doing this because of, I'm told to by a slave driver. I've embraced the heart of, of what we have here. And, and God wants us to step into His love and from being in love into His purpose. Something else that sort of has just dawned on us again is that it is incredibly possible to be saved, to have a relationship with Jesus and still to completely miss His purposes. It's possible to go through our whole life and come to the end of our lives and realize I really love Jesus, but I never followed Him. I spoke to Him and I heard His voice and I read the Word and maybe I even witnessed to others, but I never embraced His purpose for my life, His purpose for why He put me on this earth. I guess it's a little bit of what is stirring in our heart. Do we just want salvation or or do we want the abundance that God has called us to? Do we want to walk in His purposes in this life, in His kingdom, which is an upside-down kingdom to this world? And over the last couple of weeks and months, we've been looking at this from various angles and various building blocks. A couple of weeks ago, we just, so many of us responded to God's call just to come and pluck out the other things that are growing within us. Jesus says that when you sow seed, some of that seed grows and it prospers and it finds root, but then weeds come and crowd it out. And we live in a world where there are seeds of weeds being planted all of the time in our lives. Every time we turn on a television or some social media type of thing and then 
an advert pops in us, a, a large percentage of that advert is based around materialism and the things of this world. And those are seeds we'd be sowed all the time. Maybe we watch a series or a movie or perhaps even we read a book. And within that, there are these seeds that are sown within us. And we need the gardener to come and de-weed from time to time. I'm also challenged by this knowledge that the Bible is a story. It's just a series of accounts. I remember, I think I've told some of you the story before. When I was still um, lecturing at the university, one of my colleagues was a Muslim, and I gave her a Bible to read. And a couple of weeks later, she came to me, and I realized she actually did read it, or she'd read at least part of it, because she made the statement to me. She said she was so struck by the Bible because it was just stories of people. She'd expected this book of laws and regulations, kind of must, mustn't, must, mustn't, like the Ten Commandments, just a whole fat book full of them. And as she read it, she was like, she, was, she didn't expect it to be that. And as we read Scripture, we realize more and more that Scripture is just the account of ordinary people doing extraordinary things because of an extraordinary God. Scripture over and over is a normal fallible. And I love how Scripture, especially in the, I guess the New Testament, but the Old Testament goes, is at length to show us that these people aren't amazing. They're not perfect. The people are not what make them special or extraordinary. It's the extraordinary God at work within them. And so as we come to Scripture, as we, we come to the Word, because purpose, and this, I guess, is the thrust for us this morning a little bit, Godly purpose always starts with a word. Godly purpose always starts with a word. Godly purpose never starts with a good idea in my heart. Godly purpose never starts with, I had this great idea. Wow, let me do this for the kingdom. I'm going to. Godly purpose normally involves laying that down and stepping away from it and letting God redefine it. So coming back a little bit to Renee's word this morning, I want to encourage us, the words we speak, the actions we, say, we do, are they aligning with God's words that He is spoken, has spoken, and is speaking? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, God is sort of speaking to the people in Israel. And he says He humbled them by letting them go hungry and feeding them with manna. Those who are unfamiliar with the story, we have about a million or so people. We don't know the exact number, but it was a large number around about a million people coming out of Egypt where they'd lived in slavery for 400 years. And God comes and He takes them out through a, a whole process of redemption and deliverance, and they go into a desert. And they were only meant to pass through the desert for roughly 40 days before moving into the land that God had prepared for them, for the promised land. They were disobedient in this time, and they end up staying in there for 40 years instead of 40 days. And in that time, God came and He fed them with manna. Manna literally means what? And they were complaining that they didn't have food, even though they had stacks and stacks of food, if you go look at the biblical account. They didn't have food. They woke up in the morning, and there was this substance. And I can imagine the kids running out early in the morning, and they come back, and they're like, Mom, what? And since then, they called it what? And so this manna, this what, every morning they'd wake up, and this food would be on the ground, and God says, I fed you with manna, 
the food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God or the mouth of the Lord. So this morning, I'm wanting us just to, for a moment, think about how are we responding and relating to the voice of God in our lives? Are we, when we come to Scripture, when we come to the Word, when we come to our our times of worship, we're expecting God to speak to us, are we just coming for survival? Or are we coming to flourish? When God says that we live, is God just meaning living, waking up every day and going through the emotions and just surviving? Or does God have more in store for us? I believe God would have more in store for us. I believe that when God says we live, I don't think He just means in the way that we live by breathing. And eating bread in the morning and just going through the motions and just waking up another day, I get to live another day. I think he means live by embracing the fullness of what he has stored up for us in this life. And so one of the reasons there's so much that we can say about the word, we know that the mountains melt like wax Before God, when He speaks, the earth shakes and it trembles. We know that it's not always in the earthquake and it's not in the storm. Sometimes God is that still, small voice in which He speaks to us. And there's so much we can say about the voice of the Lord. Most of us here have served God long enough and know God long enough to know His voice. So I want to touch on two things, two accounts from the book of Acts where People responded so well to the voice of God, but they could have responded differently. And things that perhaps to you and to me are inhibitors to us responding to the voice of God. Things that sometimes perhaps hold us back from the voice of God. The first one we see in in Acts chapter 8. What's happening in Acts chapter 8 is this is really amazing guy in Scripture called Philip, and he's gone to a city called Samaria where he's preached the gospel, and a large part of the city has come to the faith. They're excited about Jesus. He hasn't ministered the Holy Spirit to them yet, so the apostles sent Peter and John to Samaria. They minister the Holy Spirit. People are filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin speaking in tongues. They're prophesying. There are just mighty signs and wonders happening all over Samaria. Philip is looking at this and like, my ministry is happening. This is amazing. Where's the next city? Where's the next big crowd? Where's the next place where I can go and I can preach the gospel? Maybe in the meantime, he's on his hammock watching super rugby. He's just relaxing. He's ready for the next place. He's waiting for the next word. And so as he is sort of in this space, he's just had this incredible mountaintop experience of ministry. An angel of the Lord says to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Maybe just uh, this specific translation, maybe misses, I think, something that some of the more word-for-word translations would have where they would say, go to this road, and then the next sentence, this is desert. In other words, I'm not sending you to a glamorous place. This is an inconvenient word. I'm not bringing you to sort of the nice, big, fancy hotel. 
I'm not inviting you right now to kind of the place that you dreamed of that you're telling all your buddies about where you're going next. Sort of, we've, how many of you have ever said to God, God, I will never? Who's ever said that some way to God in a prayer? How many of you end up doing the thing that you said you will never? Okay. I will never plant a church in Mauritius. Okay. <laughs> but it's, it's amazing how we, these are not the sort of the places. This is not the, the, the nevers. These are the places kind of where we're, we're not dreaming of going here. Sometimes, I dare to say, often when God's voice first comes to you and, and to me, it, it's an inconvenient word. It doesn't fit into my program right now. No, no, Jesus, cities. God, I'm on cities. Did you see what happened in Samaria? Where's the next city? That, that's where God's calling me. God says, no, I want you to go to the desert. Go there where there is nothing. Are you willing to go wherever God may ask you to go? Whatever it looks like in your mind. He has probably, just spoiler alert, he has one of the most insane experiences in all of Scripture. And we'll get, I'll tell you what that is in a moment. I'm not going to read that far. But his obedience brings him to a pretty amazing moment. And so he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Kandake or Candace, depending on your translation, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning seated in his carriage. He was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up to the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And then this guy gets baptized, and this is where the really awesome moment comes in. Philip baptizes him in water. They come up out of the water, and Philip is gone. And they find him 50 kilometers or whatever it is further in another city. He has this experience of like a beam me up, Scotty, real life moment. So there was something really unique and special. Obviously, the salvation of a soul. This, this man, many believed that this eunuch would have been the first person to carry the gospel down into Africa. But it all starts with an inconvenient word. It starts with God coming and saying to Philip, do something which is not glamorous. Do something which is probably going to upset your agenda for this day. Will you go to the desert for me today? So often in Scripture and sort of Christianese language, you talk about the desert as this really bad, this desert moment, this desert experience, this wilderness experiences, etc. Sometimes that's where God meets us the most profoundly. Sometimes we miss that when the people of Israel were in the desert 
for 40 years. They were closer to God there than anywhere else. They had the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. God's presence was tangibly upon them. He spoke to Moses in that time like a man speaks to his friend. The desert is not a bad place. Some of us have to go to Namibia. Okay. The desert is, is not the worst place on the planet because God is in the desert often. But so often his word comes and it's inconvenient. So loved speaking to the people who I've gotten to know quite well over the years when they were in our shofar congregations, leaders in a variety of different spaces and are, are now leading at Live Village. Just speaking with them and not one of them made a convenient decision to go to Live Village. One of them was a, a senior engineer working with and for Sussel and contracting late, later as a chemical engineer. That's a salary with a couple of zeros on it. Not only zeros, like a digit and then some zeros. It's not a convenient, I mean, we were joking because he's got an 80,000 rand guitar that he plays in the band there. And I told him, listen, these guys at Live, are you paying you way too much? He's like, no, 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 this was engineering salary. Back when he was an engineer, he's only, he hasn't been there very long. But that's an inconvenient decision to say, I'm stepping away from this big salary to uh, enough for me to feed my mouth. And he's just had a little kid. It would have been far more convenient to stay in the engineering job. But there is a response to the Lord. I'm thankful that the disciples we make are people who over the years have been willing to say yes to the call of God at sacrifice and as cost to ourselves. Who've been willing to go to the desert. For some of us, for him, it's like, I want you to go to Durban. It's a bit like, I want you to go to the desert. You know? I want you to go there. And they're living, they're not living in the flashy areas of Durban. They're living in a semi-rural village. I love that God puts that in our hearts. And I love that there's a response but there's an inconvenience often to the response of what God calls us to do. And not only is it inconvenient, because just before we carry on with the next scripture here, it's amazing to me that this very passage that Philip reads with him is an inconvenient passage. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. You see, Jesus was willing to be inconvenienced for the kingdom. One of the things that holds us back from pursuing the word of God that he speaks into our lives, coming back to Renee's word, are our words and our actions lining up with what God has spoken. If God has said we must go in a different, a specific direction, we must minister to a specific people, we must be active in a specific area, are our words and our actions lining up to that? Or are we a kingdom divided against itself because our words are not in agreement with God's words? Are our words contradicting or are we willing to say, God has called me to? Can I quickly interrupt myself here just for a moment? One of the, the biggest challenges that we face in ministry is one of the things that Paul is most upfront about. If you go and read any of Paul's letters, I think there are two or three of Paul's letters that don't have this. They all start in exactly the same way. Maybe the wording might be slightly different, but for all intents and purposes, it's the same. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Do you know who wrote that? 
Paul. Paul had to, at some stage in his life, come to the place where he was comfortable writing that he was called to be an apostle. One of our biggest wrestles that we have in our lives as believers following Christ is are we willing to own what God's called us to do? Are we willing to take a piece of paper and write, Tian, so-and-so, called by God. This is what God has called me to do. So I'm going to do what God has called me to do as if God has called me to do it. See, Paul understood, and I love this description of humility. Paul understood that humility is simply agreeing with what God has said about me. If God has said, I must be a captain or you must be a captain of industry, then the right thing for you to do is to be a captain of industry. If God has said you must be a father of orphans and the right thing for you to do is to be a father of orphans. If God has said that you must be a pioneer in whichever area, then the right thing for you to do is to be a pioneer in that area. Otherwise, we're a kingdom divided against ourselves. We're arguing with our king. And so humility, true biblical humility, starts with us embracing what God has said about us. And often, it's inconvenience. It messes up our plan. God, you don't understand. I've got this 10-year plan. It is maybe at the end of 10 years when I've kind of set myself up and I've started this business and I've got everything the way it is and I've done transition management and sort of I've set it up so I can just earn sort of a director's salary or have some ownership and get some dividends. Then I can. And God says, no. I was speaking to Joan, teacher's wife, Joan Smith, and she made this statement which so challenged me, because I think there's so much truth in this. She says, she often gets asked, where would the kids, the orphans be, if it wasn't for Titch and Joan? Where would they be now? I love their answer. She says, they'd be right there on the village, because God would have used someone else. God's plan would have still come to pass. See, we can postpone and we can say, God, I'll get to it later. And there is grace, but there's also the purpose of God. And God says, okay, well, you can get to something else later. I'm going to get someone who wants to do this now to do this now. Because my kingdom needs to come. My will is going to be done whether you're part of it or not. And then Joan says, she wonders how far down the list they were. <laughs> how many people did God ask before we got to them? They might have been first, they might not. Because he called them to something inconvenient. Preaches Jesus. and The eunuch takes the gospel from there, we believe, as the first missionary, in a sense, to Africa. And then the next chapter we read, so what's just happened here is, so that was sort of Philip's story. Now we get to Saul's story. And Saul was persecuting the church. Literally, the first martyr in the New Testament is a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen, who was killed for his faith. And Paul was there watching, guarding the clothes of those who were doing the killing. So he wasn't actively killing, but he was very much in favor overseeing this whole process that was happening. And so Saul gets a bunch of letters from the chief priests. So he's a very passionate man for what he believes to be right in God's eyes. 
And there are these people who, to his mind, are preaching heresy, and they must be removed. And so Saul goes, and he gets letters from the chief priests, sending him to a bunch of different places where he's going to go and imprison and do what is necessarily to quench this doctrine of Jesus that's being preached. And so on the way, he is on the road to Damascus, and he has a moment there where he meets Jesus. He has this big blinding light, and he sees Jesus. He doesn't know who it is, but he has this really great response. He says, who are you, Lord? He doesn't know who this is, but he knows whoever's speaking to him is Lord. And in this moment, there's a conversion that happens, and he is his heart completely changes in that moment. He realizes the story of Jesus is real, and he becomes, in the New Testament, the greatest advocate for the message of Jesus. And so in this time, he's blinded. He sees this, blind, this blinding light, and he's literally blinded. He hears a voice. Everyone else can hear the voice. They can't see what he's seeing, but they can hear what he's hearing. And in the midst of, so Paul's on the way to Damascus, but he is blind God comes and he speaks to a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. Just, by the way, that's a great way to respond when God starts speaking. Such a simple way, but we see when Eli, um, when Eli had a young Samuel with him, Samuel started hearing the voices of God. God's speaking to Samuel, who's this young kid. He's living with Eli, who is um, a prophet living around the temple and in the temple. And Samuel wakes up and he thinks Eli is calling him. And twice he goes to Eli. Eli's like, no, I'm asleep. Don't wake me up. Go back to bed. The second time, Eli's like, if God, it's not me. I think it's God calling you. It's definitely not me. I'm sleeping. Just say, yes, Lord, speak. I'm listening. Sometimes that's all we need to do to hear the voice of God. Just say, yes, I'm listening. And so the Lord begins to speak to Ananias, and Ananias says, yes, he replied. God says to him, go over to Straight Street. Did you, go, did you know the Old Testament? They had, not in the Old Testament, ancient times. Even then they had street names. Go to Straight Street, the house of Judas. When you get there, Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias. You see, Ananias knows about Saul of Tarsus. He knows about the letters. He knows about how harsh he is to other believers. And so there's an intimidating word. See, God's word is not only inconvenient, it's intimidating. It's like, Jesus, are you sure? Because I'm going to die if I get this wrong. I've heard of Saul. Let's carry on. Because, but Lord, how many of us, when God speaks, but Lord, we have an excuse, why not? A kingdom divided against itself. Oh, willing to just not let the yes, Lord, become a but Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, but Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, 
I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is a chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. How's that for a great first prophecy? So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And then he got up and was baptized and afterward he ate some food and he regained his strength. Two big stumbling stones for us following the voice of God, is that it's an intimidating word and it's an inconvenient word. So often we hear his word and we're like, well, it's not just the desert, really, the desert, isn't there like a better place I can go? But it's, whoa, this is too big. And Ananias' case is, well, this is like life and death type of stuff. This is intimidating. I've heard about this. I can't just go up and, and speak to this guy. What if I'm wrong? God, what if you're not there? God, what if this doesn't work out? Can I just maybe put this out there? Faith doesn't ask what if it goes wrong. Faith asks what if it is right. When Peter walks on the water, he doesn't start by saying, what if I sink? He's like, God, if it's you, let me come. Jesus, it's me, and Peter comes. Some of us, we have to wrestle with a way of our dispensation, which we start by asking, what if it breaks? What if it's bad? What if it goes wrong? Some of us have to learn to wrestle with that and begin to say, well, what if God is in this? Back to our orphan friends. Praying one day, God says, I, I want you to go buy a piece of land, build an orphan village. Take my life savings, go buy an orphan village. God, what if this is wrong? God, I'm going to be stuck with some piece of land out in the middle of nowhere that people don't want. Spend all my money on, on getting the land. How am I going to put up the houses? God, what if it all goes wrong? A thousand reasons why I can't. What if I'm right? In his case, you can go read it on across their website. For him, it was simple. He went, found a way, got a hold of the minister or the premier of the area. The guy said, listen, I don't have a budget, but the ministers do. Because the guy said to him, I'll get you an audience with, the, with cabinet, because he went and presented to cabinet before they started. Because if you bought this land with your own land, like with your own money, this is happening whether I'm behind it or not. You're going to do this. So I might as well support that gap. government ends up giving them just short of 100 million to build a village. But it starts with, what if God is in this? What if Ananias says, I'm not going to go and pray for Paul. Saul who becomes Paul. Maybe Jones' words come true. God sent someone else. But Ananias misses out. You miss out. I miss out. 
Everyone in the village tells me this is the most exciting time in their life. Ted Smith, he's in his 70s now, if I'm not mistaken. He's like, this is the best time of his whole life. Everything else he did was okay, but it doesn't get close to where he is now, living in faith every day, seeing God open doors for the kingdom because he's willing to say yes. He's willing to walk in faith. Are you willing to overcome the intimidation? Doesn't Scripture say you have not received the spirit of timidity? Timidity and intimidation, it's the same word. Some translations, the spirit of fear. But that spirit whereby we are intimidated. But we have received a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Are you and I willing to live in spirits of love, of power, and of sound mind? Are we willing to step out and to be strong? Are we willing to say, God, if you have said it, this might go very wrong. But if it does go right, this is going to go right gloriously. So let's see. Let's step out for the word. And then lastly, it's not only an intimidating word. It is not only an inconvenient word when God speaks, but it's an inspiring word. Isaiah 55 the rain and snow come down from their heavens and they stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. This is what rain does. Every farmer understands how rain falls on the ground and it causes stuff to grow. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. God's word will prosper. It will prosper in our lives, in your life, in my life, if we would just be willing to agree with it. If we're not going to be a kingdom divided against itself, if God is saying to us, speaking to us, or are we willing to say yes and start speaking God's word over our lives and over our situations? God's word over our families, God's word over our purposes, God's word over where he is directing us. Are we willing to agree with what God says? Because God's kingdom is only going to be done in and through our lives if we're willing to let his kingdom be done in our lives and through our lives. It's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be incredibly intimidating at times. Most of us, we've, I believe, Speaking by the Spirit, when I say most of us here, we've stood at the mountain that God's called us to climb or to move. And we've been intimidated by that mountain. Some of us have said, well, I'm going anyway. And some of us have stayed standing at the bottom and are wrestling with that. And some of us perhaps have even turned to go a different direction. This morning, God's calling you back to say, will you face the mountain? I'm calling you to face. I'm calling you to face it. I want you to scale this mountain, to move the mountain, whatever it may be. If you refuse to do it, I'll get someone else to do it, but I'm inviting you to be part of this. Are we willing to begin to say yes to the word of God over our lives? Are we willing to begin to say yes to the purposes of the kingdom that are going to be established? As a church, I, I know and kind of we've begun to step into that. There are so many 
mountaintop experiences that are waiting for us. But you only get to a mountaintop experience when you climb a mountain. There are so many experiences of God's incredible provision for us if we're willing to step up. If we're not willing to box in God to our minds, if we're willing to say, God, if you're going, I'm willing to go. This is inconvenient. This is uncomfortable. We have to get up early in the morning to go and pray. Maybe sleep a little bit later. It's going to be cold at times. I might even be hungry because I'm going to have to fast. But I'm stepping out, God, because your kingdom is coming. So expectant to see where God is taking us. I believe in this year as God is calling us to step into his purpose, step into his love first, but to step into his purpose is because he has an incredible purpose ahead for us. We spoke about that over the last couple of weeks. It's not so much as our purpose as much as it's his purpose. It's not that God has a purpose for his church. He has a church for his purpose. And God's calling us into that purpose which he has the only question is, are we willing to go? Are we willing to look at the intimidation? Are we willing to look at the inconvenience and say, Jesus, you're worth it. You are worth it. And so as we head into the second half of this year, I want to invite us in this week and the coming weeks, every one of us to Carve out some time in our schedule to sit still fast if you must. Join us tomorrow if you can. Say, Jesus, what is your word for me for this time? What is your daily bread? Not just what is the word you gave me once, that too. Am I still being true to the heavenly vision as Paul later on refers to it in his life? Lord, I, want, I don't want to live by bread alone, but I want to live by every word that proceeds from your mouth. What are you speaking to me? What are you saying to me? And then be deliberate about agreeing with what God says. Not being that kingdom that's divided against itself. Having our words line up with God's words. Something else that I'm just kind of, just this mission for me was such an encouragement on so many levels, but one of them was I've been wanting to go to live because of just this partnership that's happening and gotten to know some parts from our leaders that are there, some of their leaders we've sort of gotten to know in one or two other environments and just I want to go and support what they're doing and they asked to go last year, couldn't go last year, so this year I was like, okay, let's go. Let's take a team to go and support them. Decide this sort of towards the end of last year. In June 2023, we're going to Live Village to go and support and then I broke my leg. And I got inconvenient. It was this idea which was nice. We're going to take this whole team. We're going to take a bunch of students to go and support as well. And then the varsity went and messed up their calendar and changed the dates a little bit. So they were all writing exams. So now the students can't go. And it's inconvenient. And then I leave on, we left on the Friday. The Thursday I had to have a root canal. It's just, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> Now the flippant tooth is infected and what, what, it's uncomfortable. But something that I've seen is if we don't put a date down, a time, I'm going. There's always a reason why not to go. There's always an excuse to bail out. There's always a, ah, the students can't go like I wanted them anymore. And my foot is going to be really awkward hopping around. You guys know KwaZulu Natal Terrain Village on crutches. 
There's an excuse why I can't. So I want to kind of put a challenge out there. Some of us have been praying for friends. We've been praying for family members. We've been praying to start up a prayer meeting or some event. Be bold and put a date to it. So I'm going to do this. Bye. Otherwise, there's always a date to extend. There's always a reason why I can't start now. I think there's a great evangelism strategy hidden right here in Acts chapter 8. Praying about this, figuring out what that looks like in our environment. But there's no reason you can't start. Philip goes, he finds someone reading scripture and he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And he begins to preach Jesus at him. I'm pretty sure most of us, if we on our community or on our, with our community be our, our work community or our neighborhood community or whatever community, if we just put a message on there and say, hey guys, I want to pray once a week or I want to read scripture once a week. Anybody want to come and read with me? The chances are pretty good. People are, and you, you're going to find someone there, even if it's one person in the desert who will read. And then you just ask them the simple question, do you understand what you are reading? Probably not. Okay, let's explain Jesus to them from that. Such a simple way to step into people's lives. Such a simple way to build a bridge towards Jesus. I'm pretty sure most of us, if we were to try that this week, maybe just be alert. Walk into someone's office, see a Bible there. Maybe they're not even reading it. Say, do you read your Bible? Do you understand what you're reading? Can we get together to read at some stage? It's exactly what Philip did. No reason why we can't do it either. We're going to take communion together this morning. Darlington, if you guys could maybe, I don't know if you can grab some guys just to help hand out the elements of communion for us. Communion, it's about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It's about the fact that, yes, Jesus died and he gave his body for your sin, for my sin to be washed away. He gave his body, his blood for our pain to be made whole. But he also did it because he came with a mission. You see, Jesus came because he had a plan. Jesus came because he had a purpose. Jesus came because he cared about you and he cared about me. Jesus came because he looked at the depravity on this earth and he said, I have a plan and a purpose. And so in just a few moments, as we're going to partake of communion together, Anki, I'd like us to do it around this prayer in our hearts. Lord, your voice. Lord, that which you are saying to me, I want to hear that. I want to embrace that. Maybe you're here this morning and you're Philip. I don't know if I've ever heard the voice of God. Bring that before God. Be just like Ananias and be like Samuel and just say, yes, Lord, speak to me. God, I want to hear your voice. Can I just maybe quick, put a quick asterisk here? Maybe one of the worst things that you can do is to hear God's voice today and run out and do whatever you heard. Especially if you're not familiar with the voice of God. What do I mean by that? I mean wisdom suggests, commands perhaps, that we take what we hear God saying to us and we go to the people we trust and we know hear God's voice and say, this is what I hear God saying. 
Does this sound like God to you? People of faith, people of hope. They're not responsible for your obedience to the word, but it really helps, especially if it's something a little bit out there, if it's something intimidating, if it's something inconvenient. Make sure that there are two or three people that you can pray with and say, this is what I think God is saying to me. I'm going to do it because God is speaking. I just want to make sure that this is God. Does that make sense? I got this. So hear God's voice. Be passionate about God's voice, but also be humble about God's voice. We aren't always all that brilliant at hearing His voice. It's not that He doesn't speak. It's just there's a whole bunch of other confusing voices in our minds and in our hearts often. And having someone bring clarity to that perhaps is wisdom. And so this morning, if you haven't heard God's voice, if you're not familiar with God's voice, a great thing to do would be to say, Jesus, speak to me. Here I am. Day by day, lead me in what you have prepared for me. Can we stand together if you've received? Has anybody not received? Maybe just put up your hand quickly so we can see if we missed anybody. Otherwise, let's stand together this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can stand here this morning, Lord, and not be hungry because we live every day by your word. Thank you that as a people, we're a people who hear your voice, Lord. But also, Lord, we acknowledge that often as people, sometimes as individuals, we don't obey your word, Lord. We're intimidated by your word. We're inconvenienced by your word. And we hold back on your word. And so this morning, we come and repent, Lord. We say we are sorry. Lord, our hearts choose to turn back to your word, to follow your word, to run in your word, to do in your word. As inconvenient as it may be, as uncomfortable as it may be, as intimidating as it may be, if it's your word, we want to receive it and agree with it, Lord. And so firstly, God, we come and we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, speak to us, Lord. Also, yes, Lord, to whatever it is you are leading us to, Lord. And Lord, we know that's a scary prayer. Because you're going to lead us way beyond our wildest dreams. You're going to lead us to places where we're going to be stretched, Lord. Where we will be challenged. But places where we, where we will see your grace as we've never seen before. And so if that's in your heart this morning, don't you in some way just want to say yes to Jesus? Some way just acknowledge a desire to hear his voice and to follow his voice. We don't want to be hungry, Lord. We want to live. Not just survive, but truly live according to your word. And Lord, as we look at these mountains, I say in some of us, God is just calling us back to look at the mountain that we've turned away from. Lord, as we come back to the mountain, as we look up at the mountain, we thank you, Lord, that it's not by might and it's not by power, Lord. Lord, that the only way we can ascend this mountaintop is by your grace. It's because, Jesus, you have made a way. Because your body was broken 
your blood was shed, Lord. And so even now we step away from our own minds and our, our own strength, Lord. We choose to do this by faith, Lord. We choose to do this in the way that you lead us. In Jesus' name. So God, we acknowledge your body broken for us. Your body, Lord, which shattered the power of Satan, Lord. Your body, which speaks of our wholeness and our healing. Externally as well as internally, Lord. Your body, which catalyzes faith to trust in you. Let's eat together. And your blood, Jesus, which washes away our sin. And so in this place today, we declare there is no room for guilt and for shame. Lord, even the shame, the shame that comes with disobeying your voice, Lord. Of not hearing in the past, of not following when you have spoken, Lord. We lay all of that down because of your blood. We say shame will no longer paralyze us and shame will no longer hold us back. Because your blood is sufficient, Jesus. So thank you for your blood which washes away every single sin, Lord, every insecurity. And so we come boldly because of the blood of Jesus. Let's drink together. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria. 